I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, how's my life? Eh, it's fine. I literally have nothing to talk about, so let's just move on. I guess I can. What can I talk about? Uh, flies. I thought I got rid of them. They're not in the basement, which is nice. Means I can sit down here and record my show, or iron clothes if I need to iron clothes. Which I don't have much of a reason to, since you never go out in public anymore. Uh... But no flies so far. And so far, no mice, if I'm lucky. But upstairs, the flies are still flying around. So that doesn't help anybody being in the basement, uh, where it's all fine, and the upstairs has vermin flying around like crazy. I killed seven of them today. So that's annoying. I killed seven of them within like an hour. So that's really frustrating. But I'm sure I'll figure it out somehow. Uh, at least if anything else, I can take refuge in the basement, since the basement's the good spot now. That's it. I literally have nothing else. Uh, spent my night last night watching, uh, documentaries. That's it. I have nothing else to talk about. <laughs> so with that, let's dive into the story. Well, let's learn a little bit about the author through the power of uh, learning some facts about his life. Samuel Langhorn Clemens, otherwise known as Mark Twain, got his name Mark Twain in a mm, mm, <laughs> very interesting way. Uh, from his experience as a licensed river pilot, he chose the pen name by which he is best known, eh, Mark Twain. The term Mark Twain means it's safe to set sail because the water's depth is two fathoms, or 12 feet. Mark 1 is 6 feet, Mark Tyree is 18 feet, and Mark 4 is 24 feet. Uh, other names? Oh, there's stories behind other names he went through before he settled on Mark Twain. Samuel found work at the Virginia City newspaper and began using the pen name Mark Twain. Other pseudonyms he used as a writer were... Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass, Ugh. W. Apanamotus, Adristus Blab, Ugh. Sergeant Fathom. <laughs> I kind of like Sergeant Fathom. Ooh, and Rambler. He should have kept Rambler. That's a very sexy name. So that was slightly more interesting than the previous ones. I did pull up and uh, get President Ronald Reagan ready, just in case those sucked, but they weren't the worst. Turns out, Ronald Reagan, U.S. president during the 80s, uh, an era when family ties reigned supreme. Uh, 
Another interesting fact about Ronald Reagan is that he's the only president... Oh, this comes from What the Fact, so hopefully it's poorly written. Another interesting fact about Ronald Reagan is that he's the only president who has been through divorce. Ah, his first wife was Jane Wyman, whom he married in 1940 and separated in 1948. Then he met Nancy Davis at the set of Hellcats of the Navy. Oh, he got married to her where William Holden stood by his best man. I will read one more. Ah, his nickname was Dutch. He is... He is father fondly called him Dutch due to his look and also because he used to have a Dutch boy haircut. Now that's cute and poorly written, which is what I was looking for. So with that, let's dive into the story. Well, where do we leave off in the last uh, two chapters? The boys decided to run away and be pirates. Oh, they got all worked up over things about the kind of clothes you should wear and lifestyle you should live and that sort of thing. Uh, they ate, they ate bass. And then they all got homesick, and the first one to leave was Tom, which is disheartening, because Tom is uh, probably the harder, the toughest out of all of them. And so with that, uh, uh, they, I think he left because uh, they were out looking for their bodies and shooting a cannon over the water, which we talked about in the previous episode. And so uh, now we're going to read chapters 15 and probably 16. Chapter 15 A few minutes later, Tom was in the shoal water of the bar wading toward the Illinois shore. Before the depth reached his middle, he was halfway over. The current would permit no more wading now. Oh, and then my book just shut off. Yes, I use a Kindle. Don't get mad at me. There we go. Uh, Permit no more wading now, so he struck out confidently to swim the remaining hundred yards. He swam, quartering upstream, but still was swept downward rather faster than he had expected. However, he reached the shore finally and drifted along till he found a low place and drew himself out. He put his hand on his jacket pocket, found his piece of bark safe, and then struck through the woods, following the shore with streaming garments. Shortly before ten o'clock, he came out into an open place opposite the village, and he saw a ferry boat lying in the shadow of the trees in the high bank. Everything was quiet under the blinking stars. He crept down the bank, watching with all his eyes, slipping into the water, swam three or four strokes, and climbed into the skiff uh, that did, quote, y'all duty at the uh, boat's stern. He laid himself down under the thwarts and waited, panting. Presently, the cracked bell tapped, and a voice gave the order to cast off... A minute or two later, the skiff's head was standing high up against the boat's swell. The voyage was begun. Tom felt happy in his success, for he knew it was the boat's last trip for the night. At the end of a long 12 or 15 minutes, the wheels stopped, and Tom slipped overboard and swam ashore in the dusk, landing 50 yards downstream, out of danger of possible stragglers. He flew along unfrequented alleys and shortly found himself at his aunt's back fence. I climbed over, approached the L, in quotes, and looked in at the sitting room window, for a light was burning there. There sat Aunt Polly, Sid, Mary, Joe Harper's mother, grouped together talking. They were by the bed, and the bed was between them and the door. 
Tom went to the door and began to softly lift the hatch. Then he pressed gently and the door yielded a crack and he continued pushing cautiously and quaking every time it creaked till he judged he might squeeze through on his knees. So he put his head through and began warily. Uh, What makes the candle blow so? said Aunt Polly. Tom hurried up. Why, that door's open, I believe. Why, of course it is. No end in strange things now. Go long and shut it, Sid. Tom disappeared under the bed just in time. He lay and breathed, in quotes, himself for a time, and then crept to where he could almost touch his aunt's foot. But as I was saying, said Aunt Polly, he weren't bad, so to say, only mischievous. Only just giddy and harem scarum. You know, they weren't any more responsible than a colt. He never meant any harm, and he was best-hearted boy that ever was. And she began to cry. It was just so with uh, my Joe, always full of his devilment, and up to every kind of mischief. But he was just as unselfish and kind as he could be, and laws bless me to think I went and whipped him for taking that cream, never once recollecting that I throwed it out myself because it was sour, and I never to see him again in this world, never, 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 poor abused boy. And Mrs. Harper sobbed as if her heart would break. I hope... Tom's better off where he is, said Sid. But if he had been better in some ways, Sid! Tom felt the glare of the old lady's eye, though he could not see it. Not a word against my Tom. Now that he's gone, God'll take care of him. Never you trouble yourself, sir. Oh, Mrs. Harper, I don't know how to to give him up. I don't know how to give him up. (laughs) Twice in a row. He was such a comfort to me, although he tormented my old heart out of me most. Now the Lord giveth, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and it is so hard. Oh, it is so hard. Only last Saturday my Joe busted a firecracker right under my nose, and I knocked him sprawling. Little did I know then how soon, oh, if it was to do over again, I'd hug him and bless him for it. Yes, yes, yes. I know how you feel, Miss Harper. I know just exactly how you feel. No longer ago than yesterday noon, my Tom took and filled the cat full of painkiller. And I did think the creature would tear the house down. Oh, and God forgive me, I cracked Tom's head with my thimble. Poor boy, poor dead boy. But he's out of all his troubles now, and the last words I ever heard him say was to reproach. But this memory was too much for the old lady, and she broke down entirely. Tom was sniffling now himself, and more in pity of himself than anybody else, he could hear Mary crying. And putting in a kindly word for him from time to time, he began to have a nobler opinion of himself than ever before. Still, he was sufficiently touched by his aunt's grief, and longed to rush out from under the bed and overwhelm her with joy. And the theatrical gorgeousness of the thing appalled strongly to his nature, appealed strongly to his nature, too, but he resisted and laid still. He went on listening, and gathered by odds and ends that it was conjectured at first that the boys had got drowned while taking a swim. Then the small raft had been missed. Next, certain boys said the missing lads had promised that the village should, quote, hear something soon. The wise heads put... Uh, had put this and that together and decided that the lads have gone off on that raft and would turn up at the next town below. Presently, but toward noon, the raft had been found lodged against the Missouri shore. 
some five or six miles below the village, and then hope perished. Ah, they must be drowned, else hunger would have driven them home by nightfall, if not sooner. It was believed that the search for the bodies had been fruitless effort, merely because the drowning must have occurred in mid-channel. Since the boys, eh, being good swimmers, would otherwise have escaped shore, this was Wednesday night, and if the bodies continued missing until Sunday, all hope would be given over, and the funerals would be preached on the morning. Tom shuddered. Miss Harper, Gaba, sobbing good night and turned to go. Then, with a mutual impulse, the two bereaved women flung themselves into each other's arms and had a good, consoling cry, and then parted. Ah, Aunt Polly was tender, far beyond her want, in a good night to Sid and Mary. Sid snuffled a bit, and Mary went off crying with all her heart. Aunt Polly knelt down and prayed for Tom so touchingly, so appealingly, and with such measureless love in her words and her old trembling voice that he was weltering in tears again long before she was through. He had to keep still long after she went to bed, for she kept making broken-hearted ejaculations from time to time, tossing unrestfully and turning over. But at last, at last she was still, only moaning a little in her sleep. Now the boy stole out rose gradually by the bedside, shaded the candlelight with his hand, and stood regarding her. His heart was full of pity for her, and he took out his sycamore scroll and placed it by the candle, but something occurred to him, and lingered considering. His face lighted with a happy solution of his thought, then he put the bark hastily in his pocket, and then he bent over and kissed the faded lips, and straightway made his stealthy exit, latching the door behind him. He threaded his way uh, to the ferry landing, found nobody there, and walked boldly on board the boat, for he knew she was tentless, except there was a watchman, who always turned in and slept like a graven image. He uh, untied the skiff at the stern, slipped into it, and was soon rowing cautiously upstream. But he had pulled a mile above the village, he started quartering across the bent himself stoutly to his work, and hit the landing on the other side neatly, for his was a familiar bit of work to him. He was moved to capture the skiff, arguing that it might be considered a ship, and therefore legitimate prey for a pirate. But he knew a thorough search would be made for it that might end in revelation, so he stepped ashore and entered the woods. He sat down and took a uh, long rest, torturing himself meanwhile to keep awake, and then started warily down the home stretch. The night was far spent. It was broad daylight before he found himself farly, uh, fairly abreast in the island bar, and he rested again until the sun was well up and gliding the great river with its splendor. And then he plunged into the stream. A little later, he paused, dripping upon the threshold of the camp, and heard Joe say, No, Tom's true blue, Huck, and he'll come back. He won't desert. He knows that it would be a disgrace to a pirate, and Tom's too proud for that sort of thing. He's uh, up to something or another. <laughs> now I wonder what. Well, the thing is ours anyways, ain't they? Pretty near, but not yet, Huck. Uh, the writing says that they are if he ain't back here to breakfast. Which he is, exclaimed Tom, <laughs> with fine dramatic effects, stepping grandly into the camp. Oh, that's hilarious. A sumptuous breakfast of bacon and fish was shortly provided, and as the boys set to work upon it, Tom recounted, and adorned, his adventures. Uh, they were a vain and boastful company of heroes when the tale was done. Then Tom hid himself uh, away in a shady nook to sleep till noon, and the other pirates got ready to fish and explore.
Chapter 16 After dinner, all the gang turned out to hunt for turtle eggs on the bar. They went about poking sticks into the sand, and when they found a soft place, they went down on their knees and dug to their hands with their hands. Sometimes they would take 50 or 60 eggs out of one hole. Ah, they were perfectly round, white little things with a trifle smaller than an English walnut. <laughs> they had a famous fried eggs feast that night and another on Friday morning. After breakfast, they went whooping and prancing about in the bar and chased each other round and round, uh, shedding clothes uh, as they want. Uh, that's gross. Until they were naked, gross, then continued the frolic far away up the shoal water of the bar against a stiff current, which latter uh, tripped their legs from under them from time to time and greatly increased the fun. This is gross. And now and then they stooped in a group and splashed water in each other's faces with their palms, gradually approaching each other with averted faces to avoid the strangling sprays and finally gripping and struggling until the best man ducked his neighbor and then they all went under in a tangle of white legs and arms that came up blowing, sputtering, and laughing. This is all... This is all bothering me. It's because they're naked. And grasping for breath uh, at one and the same time. When they're all well exhausted, they would run out and sprawl on the dry, hot sand and lie there and cover themselves up with it. And by and by, break for the water again and go through the original performance once more. Finally, it, it occurred to them that their naked skin represented flesh-colored tights very fairly. Uh, so they drew a ring in the sand and had a circus. Oh, God, the three clowns in it, for none would yield the proudest post to his neighbor. Next, they got their marbles and played knucks and ringtaw and keeps uh, till their amusement grew stale. Then Joe and Huck had another swim. Ah, but Tom would not venture because he found that in... And kicking off his trousers, that they had kicked his string of rattlesnake rattles off his ankle, and he wondered how he had escaped camp so long without the protection of this mysterious charm. He did not venture again until he found it, and uh, by that time the other boys were tired and ready to rest. They gradually wandered apart, uh, dropped into, into the dumps, and fell off to gazing longingly across the wide river to where the village lay drowsing in the sun. Tom found himself riding Becky in the sand with his big toe and scratched it out. He was angry with himself for his weakness, but he wrote it again. Uh, nevertheless, uh, he could not help it. He erased it once more, and then he took himself out of the temptation by driving the other boys together and joining them. But Joe's spirits had gone uh, down almost beyond resurrection. He was so homesick that he could hardly endure the misery of it. Uh, the tears lay very near the surface. Huck was melancholy, too. Tom was downhearted. But he tried hard not to show it. He had a secret, which he was not ready to tell yet. But if this mutinous depression was not broken up soon, he would have to bring it out. He said, with a great show of cheerfulness, I bet there's been pirates on this island before, boys. I will explore it again. They've hid treasures here somewhere. How'd you feel the light on a rotten chest full of gold and silver, hey? but aroused only faint enthusiasm, which faded out with no reply. Tom tried one or two other seductions, but they failed too. It was discouraging work. Joe sat poking the sand with a stick and looking very gloomy, and finally he said, Oh, boys, let's give it up. I want to go home. It's so lonesome. Oh, now, Joe, you'll feel better by and by, said Tom. Just think of the fishing that's here. 
I don't care for fishing. I want to go home. Yeah, but Joe, there ain't such another swimming place anywhere. Yeah, swimming's no good. I don't seem to care for it somehow. When there ain't anybody to, that I shan't go in. I mean, go home. Ah, oh, shucks, baby. You want to see your mother, I reckon? Yes, I do. I want to see my mother, and you would too if you had one. I ain't any more of a baby than you are. And Joe snuffled a little. Well, we'll let the crybaby go home to his mother. Uh, won't we, Huck? Poor thing. Uh, does he? Uh, does it want to see its mother? And so it shall. Uh, you like it here, don't you, Huck? We'll stay, won't we? Huck said, yes, without any heart in it. I'll never speak to you again as long as I live, said Joe, rising. There now! And he moved moodily away and began to dress himself. Oh, finally, they're putting their clothes on. Ugh, skin feels like it's vomiting. Who cares, said Tom. Nobody wants to go. Go long home and get laughed at. Oh, you're a nice little pirate, Huck. And me ain't crybaby. He's a, we'll stay, won't we, Huck? Uh, let him go if he wants to. I reckon we can go along without him, perhaps. No, but Tom was uneasy. Nevertheless, and was alarmed to see Joe go sullenly on with his dressing. And Then it was discomforting to see Huck eyeing Joe's preparations so wistfully and keeping up such an ominous silence. Presently, without parting word, Joe began to wade off toward the Illinois shore. That Tom's heart began to sink. He glanced at Huck. Huck could not bear the look and dropped his eyes. Then he said, I want to go too, Tom. It was getting so lonesome anyways, and now it'll be worse. Let us go too, Tom. I won't. You can all go if you want to. I mean to stay. Tom, I better go. Well, go long. Who's hindering you? Hup began to pick up his scattered clothes and said, Tom, I wish you'd come. Now you think it over. We'll wait for you when we get to a shore. Well, you'll wait a blame long time, that's all. Huck started sorrowfully away, and Tom stood looking after him, with a strong desire tucking at his heart to yield his pride and go along too. He hoped the boys would stop, but they still waited slowly on. It suddenly dawned on Tom that it was becoming very lonely and still. He made one final struggle with his pride and then darted after his comrades, yelling, Wait, wait, I want to tell you something. They presently stopped and turned around. When he got to where they were, he began unfolding his secret, and they listened moodily till they, uh, last, till they saw the, the point he was driving at. And then they set up a war whoop of applause and said it was splendid. And said if he had told them first, they wouldn't have started away. He made a plausible excuse, uh, but his real reason had been the fear that not even the secret would keep them with any uh, great length of time. And so he had meant to hold it in reserve as a last seduction. Mm-hmm. The lads came gaily back and went to their sports again with a will, uh, chattering all the time about Tom's stupendous plan and admiring the genius of it. After a dainty, ooh, egg and fish dinner, Tom said he wanted to learn to smoke. Uh, Joe caught the idea, and he said he would like to try. Uh, So Huck made My cat is running around. He just did the weirdest jump. He's going to destroy everything. So Huck made pipes and filled them. These novices had never smoked anything before, but cigars made a grapevine. And they, quote, bit the tongue, mm, eh, uh, but were not considered manly anyways. Now they stretched themselves out on their elbows and began to puff uh, charily, charily, uh, with slender confidence. 
The smoke had an unpleasant taste, and they gagged a little, and Tom said, Why, it's uh, just as easy. If I'd known uh, this was all, I'd learnt long ago. So would I, said Joe. It was just nothing. Why, many a time I looked at people smoking and thought, Well, I wish I could do that. But I never thought I could, said Tom. Yeah, that's just the way with me. Ain't it, Huck? Uh, you heard me talk just that way. Haven't you, Huck? Eh, I'll leave it to Huck if I haven't. Yes, heaps of times, said Huck. Well, I have too, said Tom. Oh, hundreds of times. Uh, once down by the slaughterhouse. Uh, don't you remember, Huck? Bob Tanner was there, and Johnny Miller, and Jeff Thatcher. When I said, uh, don't you remember, Huck? Uh, Bobby saying that? Uh, yes, that's so, said Huck. Uh, that was the day after I lost a uh, white alley. No, uh, twas the day before. Not there, I told you so, said Tom. Huck uh, recollects it. I believe I could smoke this pipe all day, said Joe. I don't feel sick. Not neither do I, said Tom. I could smoke it all day. I, I bet you Jeff Thatcher couldn't. Ah, <laughs> Jeff Thatcher, why, he'd keel over just with two draws. Ha, 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 Just let him try it once. Oh, he'd see. I bet he would. And Johnny Miller, I, I wish I could see Johnny Miller tackle it once. Oh, oh, don't I, said Joe. Why, I bet Johnny Miller couldn't any more do this uh, than nothing. Uh, just one little snifter would fetch him. Indeed it would, Joe. Say, I wish the, the boys could see us now. Uh, so do I. Say, boys, uh, don't say anything about it. And sometime when uh, they're around, I'll come up uh, to you and say, uh, Joe, got a pipe? Uh, Want to smoke? And you'll say, uh, kind of careless-like, uh, that it weren't anything. And you'll say, yes, uh, I got my old pipe and another one, but my uh, tobacler ain't very good. And I'll say, oh, well, that's all right. It's strong enough. And then you'll out with the pipes, and then we'll light it up just as cam, and then we'll, uh, we'll, then we'll see him look. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, by jings, that'll be gay, Tom. I wish it was now. <laughs> so do I. And, and when we tell them we learned uh, when we were off pirating, oh, won't they wish they'd been along? Oh, I reckon not. I bet they, I bet they will. And so the talk ran on, uh, but presently it began to flag a trifle and grow disjointed. The silence is widened and the expect, ex, ex, expectoriation. Hmm, let's look up that word. Expectoriation. Expectoriate. Cough or spit out phlegm from the throat or lungs. Oh, well, there you go. Marvelously increased. Every pore inside the boy's cheeks became a spouting fountain. They could scarcely bail out uh, the cellars under their tongues fast enough to prevent an inundation. Uh, little overflowings down their throats occurred in spite of all that they could do. Sudden retchings followed every time a boy's began looking very pale and miserable. Uh, Joe's pipe dropped from his nerveless fingers. Tom's followed. Both uh, fountains were going furiously, and both pumps bailing with might and main. Joe said feebly, I've lost my knife. I reckon I better go find it. Tom said with quivering lips and halting utterance, I'll help you. Uh, you go over that way and I'll hunt down by the, oh, by the spring. No, uh, you needn't come, Huck. Uh, we can find it. So Huck sat down again and waited an hour, and he found it lonesome. Uh, so he went to find his comrades. Uh, they were wide apart in the woods, uh, both very pale, both fast asleep, and something informed them that they had had any trouble, he got rid of it. They were not talkative at supper that night. They had a humble look, and when Huck prepared his pipe after the meal and was going to prepare others, they said no, uh, they, they were not feeling very well. Uh, something they ate at dinner had disagreed with them. About midnight, Joe awoke and called the boys. 
Ah, there was a brooding oppressiveness in the air that seemed to bode something. The boys huddled themselves together and sought the friendly companionship of the fire, though the dull, dead heat of the breathless atmosphere was stifling. They sat still, intent and waiting. The solemn hush continued. Beyond the light of the fire, everything was swallowed up in blackness and darkness. Presently, there came a quivering glow that vaguely revealed the foliage there for a moment and then vanished. Uh, by and by, another came, a little stronger than another. Then a faint moan came sighing through the branches of the forest, and the boys felt a, a fleeting breath upon their cheeks and shuddered uh, with the fancy that the spirit of the night had gone by. There was a pause. Now a weird flash turned night into day and showed every little grass blade, separate and distinct. That grew about their feet, and it showed three white, startled faces, too. A deep peal of thunder went rolling and tumbling down the heavens and lost itself in sullen ramblings in the distance. A sweep of chilly air passed by, rustling all the leaves and snowing the flaky ashes broadcast about the fire. Another fierce glare lit up the forest, and an instant crash followed that seemed to resend the treetops right over the boys' heads. Oh, they clung together in terror. In the thick gloom that followed, a few raindrops fell pattering upon the leaves. Uh, "'Quick, boys, go for the tent!' exclaimed Tom. Oh, they sprang away, stumbling over roots and among the vines of the dark, uh, no two plunging in the same direction. A furious blast roared through the trees, making everything sing as it went. One blinding flash after another came, and peal on peal of deafening thunder." And now a drenching rain poured down, and the rising hurricane drove it in the streets along the ground. The boys cried out ah, to each other, ah, but the roaring wind and the booming thunder blast drowned their voices utterly. However, one by one they straggled in the last and took shelter under the tent, cold and scared and streaming with water. But to have the company in misery seemed eh, something to be grateful for. They could not talk, now the old sail flapped so furiously, even if the other noises would have allowed them. The tempest rose higher and higher, and presently the sail tore loose from its fastenings and went winging away on the blast. The boys seized each other's hands and fled, with many tumblings and bruises, to the shelter of the great oak that stood upon the riverbank. Now the battle was at its highest. Under the ceasing conflagration of lightning that flamed in the skies, everything below stood out in clean-cut and shadowless distinctness. The bending trees, ah, the billowy river, white with foam, the driving spray of spume flakes, the dim outlines of the high bluffs on the other side glimpsed through the drifting cloud crack, the slanting veil of rain. Every little while, some giant tree yielded the fight and fell crashing through the younger growth. And the unflagging thunder peals came now in ear-splitting explosive bursts, keen and sharp and unspeakably appalling. The storm cumulated in one matchless effort that seemed likely to tear the island to pieces, ah, burn it up, and drown it to the treetops, blow it away, and deafen every creature in it. All at one in the same moment, it was a wild night for homeless young heads to be out in. But the last of the battle was done, and the forces retired to weaker and weaker threatenings and grumblings, and the peace resumed their sway. Yeah, the boys went back to camp a good deal awed, but they found that there was still something to be thankful for, because uh, the great sycamore, the shelter of their beds, was a ruin. Now blasted by the lightnings, they were not under it when the catastrophe happened. 
Oh, everything in camp was drenched. Oh, the campfire as well. For they were but headless lads like their generation and had made no provision against rain. Here was a matter for dismay, for they were soaked through and chilled. They were eloquent in their distress. But they presently discovered that the fire had eaten so far up under the great log it had been built against, uh, where it curved upward and separated itself from the ground, that a, a handbreadth or so of it had escaped, wetting. So they patiently wrought until the shreds and the bark gathered from undersides of the sheltered logs, and they coaxed the fire to burn again. Then they piled on great dead bows until they had a roaring furnace and were glad-hearted once more. They dried their, their boiled ham ah, and had a feast. And after that, they sat by the fire and expanded to glorify their midnight adventure until morning. Oh, for there was not a dry spot to sleep on anywhere around. As the sun began to steal in upon the boys, a drowsiness came over them, and they went out onto the sandbar and lay down to sleep. Uh, they got scorched out by and by and drearily set about getting breakfast. After the meal, uh, they felt rusty, uh, stiff-jointed, and a little homesick once more. Tom saw the signs and fell to cheering up the pirates as well as he could, uh, but they cared nothing for marbles or circus or swimming or anything. He reminded them of their imposing secret and uh, raised a ray of cheer. While it lasted, he got them interested in a new device. This was to knock off being pirates for a while and be Indians for a change. Oh, they were attracted to this idea, so it was not long before they were uh, stripped and striped from head to heel with black mud like so many zebras, all of them chiefs, of course, and when they went tearing through the woods uh, to attack an English settlement, by and by they separated into three hostile tribes and darted upon each other from ambush with dreadful war whoops and killed and scalped each other by thousands. Ugh. It was a gory day. Consequently, it was an extremely satisfactory one. Uh, they assembled in camp towards supper time, hungry and happy. But now a difficulty arose. Hostile Indians could not break the bread of hospitality together without first making peace, and this was a simple impossibility without... Ugh, smoking a, a pipe of peace. Ugh, but there was no other process that they had ever heard of. Two of the savages almost wished that they had remained pirates. However, there was no other way. So, with such a show of cheerfulness as they could muster, they called for the pipe and took their whiff as it passed in due form. And behold, they were glad to have gone into savagery, uh, for they had gained something. They found that they could now smoke a little without having to go and hunt uh, for a lost knife, and they did not get sick enough to be seriously uncomfortable. Oh, they were not likely to fool away this high promise for lack of effort. No, they practiced cautiously after supper with the right fare of success. Ah, so they spent the jubilant evening. Uh, they were prouder and happier in their new uh, acquirement. Uh, then they would have ever been in scalping and skinning the next six nations. We will have them to smoke and chatter and brag since we have no further use for them at present. What did we learn here today? Uh, never give up. Like me with the flies. 
Sure, weirdly enough, my basement is clean of flies, but now the actual part of the house I live in is infested. Should I give up and go home? Should I say that I'm homesick for a house that doesn't have flies in it? I could. But I own this place, so I can't leave whether I like it or not. I mean, this thing could be haunted with a poltergeist, and I'm still stuck here because i got nowhere else to go. Um, and these boys were ready to give up. Oh, sure, you could spend all your time nude with your favorite boyfriends, and doesn't make a doesn't make a lick of difference. Listen to me talking like a character from this book. Doesn't make a lick of difference if you just want to be home uh, to your crying mom and or aunt. But Tom rushes after him. Oh, he's got a big secret. Hey, fellas, here, let me tell you this thing. Now you won't leave, and they say, ha ha, you're right, we won't leave. So then they smoke a pipe, get sick, and then pretend to be Indians, which is mildly racist. And then they decide to uh, finally go to bed, and uh, they they dealt with a big storm. That was something. And then uh, wound up sleeping, presumably naked, on the beach again afterwards, because couldn't sleep anywhere as wet. And uh, that's pretty much the story. What was the secret that Tom told? I thought, in my flurry of reading, that uh, I probably missed the point, so I went back and read it. I don't think he ever told them what this, or told us, the reader, what the secret is. So hopefully we'll find out in the next one. I'm sure the theme of the next few chapters will be secrets. So hopefully something in my life will involve secrets, or maybe I'll tell you one of my horrible secrets. But, uh, well, that's it for that. Uh, Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you again later this week.